You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Today we're continuing a conversation we started last week called Paradox. The, The real heart behind this entire conversation is that God often does his best work in our worst moments. And, and therein lies the paradox. What, when things are, are supposed to be bad, they become good. When, when things are discouraging, somehow they become inspiring. Now, last week we talked about the life of Joseph and Jesus and how they had such promise that was nearly lost, but God surprised everyone with his incredible grace. Next week, we're going to revisit the story of Joseph and talk about the shocking reunion he had with his brothers and the paradox of how Joseph treated his brothers in light of how they had treated him. Today, though, we want to look at two unthinkable miracles that I believe are inspiring in times like these. One of them is from Scripture, and the other took place more recently. Now, when when we hear about miracles, many of us often wonder, why not now? Why not here? Why don't they happen to me? And the topic of miracles is an interesting one because even those that don't believe in God often still believe in miracles. A survey in 2010 from the Pew Forum on Religion showed that a vast majority of Americans, nearly 80%, believed in miracles. That study goes on to show that younger adults, the millennial generation, who don't attend church services regularly and who are less inclined to express religious preference or affiliation, than their elders, still hold to a widespread belief in the afterlife, in heaven and hell, and in the miraculous. So, so what is it about miracles that fascinates us and confuses us all at the same time? I believe it's the paradox of circumstances. You see, miracles, by their definition, happen in impossible moments. And this is the conundrum of the miraculous. One of the most painful moments is immediately transformed in one to, to one of the greatest moments all through the miraculous. Or, or another way of saying this is in our worst moment, God is at his best. One of the great examples of this is a story that's recorded in all three of what are referred to as the synoptic gospels or, or, or Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The gospel of John, the fourth gospel, was not included because he has a different structure and approach than the other three do. And in all three of these Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, the story is recorded of this religious leader and his 12-year-old daughter who is deathly ill. And at the lowest, most desperate moment, he comes to Jesus to see if Jesus can do something, anything, for his dying daughter. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Here's what takes place. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. I can't imagine the emotion of this moment for Jairus. He he surely wasn't a poor man as a leader of the Jewish synagogue. And and I am certain he would have exhausted all of the resources to see his only daughter made well. But, But now he has this final chance to save his daughter. This guy named Jesus who is claiming to be the son of God. Could he actually do anything? Could he actually help? 
And verse 24 must have been such a relief. Finally, something is going Jairus' way. Jesus agrees to go with him. And on the way to Jairus' home, a crowd is pushing against Jesus and following him. And and a woman in that crowd is instantly healed as she simply touches Jesus' cloak. And as this is all unfolding, this woman's miraculously healed. Jairus receives some bad news about his daughter. In verse 35, we see what takes place. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? If there was a devastating bottom of the bucket moment in Jairus' life, I promise you this was it. The news he dreaded, the news he and his wife laid in bed awake at night, dreading, fearful, anxious about the news that his precious little princess, his only daughter, was gone. Can you hear the hope? Leave this moment. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? What a painful, unthinkable moment this must have been. But Jesus didn't seem bothered by all the bad news. In fact, Jesus doesn't step away in this difficult, horrific moment. He actually overhears what's being said and he challenges Jairus. Verse 36 says, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, speaking to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. That that seems like such a trite and almost offensive thing to say to a father who just lost his daughter. That's the kind of thing that would normally produce a pretty aggressive response. Imagine sitting in the hospital room as your child dies and the doctor looks over at you and says, don't be afraid, just believe. That that would infuriate us. Now, now, none of the gospel writers record Jairus' response in this moment. Maybe it's because it wasn't important or maybe it was too horrible to describe. Either way, Jesus doesn't let his response affect him. He takes three of his disciples with him and they proceed to their original destination, Jairus' house, to still see Jairus' daughter. Verse 38 of Mark 5, it says, When they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. Now, this is what you would expect to happen. This young girl has died. People are mourning. He, speaking of Jesus, he went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. Those grieving over this young girl think Jesus' approach is hilarious and audacious. Well, that's probably because it was. This 12-year-old girl had died and had been dead for some time. And and now Jesus comes marching in and he declares she's just sleeping. What was he, a doctor? It's pretty obvious she is dead and has been dead. What kind of a kook was this guy that he would even think of saying those things? And verse 40, it says, After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and they went in to where the child was. So so he goes into the room with three of his disciples and Jairus and his wife, who were surely weeping at the sight of the lifeless, cold body of their only daughter. Then Jesus takes the still hand of this young girl. And I love Mark's account because he is the only gospel writer that includes the actual words Jesus spoke in Aramaic here. Here's what it says in verse 41. Talitha kaum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. I guarantee you that statement would forever be etched in the minds of Jairus and his wife. 
Verse 42, immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. At this, they were completely astonished. This devastating, horrible, painful moment for Jairus and his wife would all of a sudden become the greatest, most joyous moment they could imagine. In our worst moment, God is at his best. Pain isn't the absence of God, but it sets the stage for God to move. Whatever you're walking through today, remember that God is at his best even when we are at our worst. This is what the Easter season we just came through is all about. And and you might think, yeah, that's just some made-up Bible story. Well, well, it isn't. It actually did happen. Uh, This is is not just stories and fables we make up, but these things actually happen. But I I have another real-life example that I want to share with you that happened even more real recently that illustrates this whole idea. In 2019, a major motion picture was released called Breakthrough, and it shared the real-life story of a young man named John Smith that died tragically after falling through the ice. This is something that unfortunately happens many times over throughout our world, but the outcome was anything but common. And, and I want to invite three people into a call uh, right now so we can all kind of talk about the, the remarkable miracle that happened. And you can hear in their own words what took place. So we're going to invite uh, their pastor, Jason Noble, John, and Joyce Smith uh, right now to this call. And we want to, to, to hear from them uh, as we continue today. Uh, can everyone introduce themselves just kind of so uh, we, everyone knows who, who's who here? Oh, I'm Joyce Smith. I'm the mom. Uh, I'm John Smith. I'm the boy that obviously drowned. <laughs> and I'm Jason Noble. I'm the pastor in the story that, that pastored them through that. So, uh, Joyce, John, tell, tell us a little bit what what kind of took place uh, through this remarkable story. Give us kind of a overview of, of what, what un- unfolded. Uh, so me and three friends were out on the ice um, on Lake St. Louis. Uh, we were having a great time, um, and then the ice gave way, and all three of us fell in. Uh, one of my buddies was able to um, self-rescue. Me and my other friend were 25 to 50 feet away from shore. Uh, we were pushing each other up just to stay afloat um, until I, I couldn't do it anymore, and I had drowned. I had lain under the water for uh, 15 minutes. They, they found me, which was a miracle in itself. They rushed me to shore, um, and then... They worked on me for an additional 45, rushed me to a local hospital where I lay lifeless for a total of an hour and eight minutes. Um, they brought my mom in. She prayed and instantly I had a pulse. 16 okay. days later, I walked out completely healed. 40 days from that, I um, was cleared from all medical doctors. That's just incredible. Amazing. John, John, what was it like? So you're, you're pushing yourself up with your friends in the water, just trying to get a breath of air. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're, you're just trying to survive at that moment. What was going through your mind in that? I mean, that, those are, those are moments that no child's ever prepared for. You know, the, the best way I can describe it, um, and I really had to reflect on it because I've gotten that question quite a bit mm-hmm. and I, I really never thought of it at first. Um, you know, it's just, it's crazy because just what you said, no, no one's prepared for it. You know, you're not going about your day and thinking, oh, I've got to fight for my life in the next hour, you know, and just being in that water with with us, our our mindset, you know, we all have that fight or flight instinct and our instinct was to fight for our lives. 
And, you know, the hardest thing for all of us was, you know, our, our, our minds are telling us you, you need to fight. You're, you're going to survive. You want to survive, mm-hmm. but it, it's the hardest thing when your body's saying you, you just can't, you know, the hypothermia is sitting in, you can't feel your arms. You can't feel your legs. You can't do anymore. And you're just helpless. You know, that moment of when you realize that it's over, that, that's the scariest thing because, you know, you're, you're, everything is going through your mind in that moment. And so for that, for us, it was just, it was terrifying. I have to be. It's amazing. Joyce, for, for you, um, this had to have been such a challenging emotional time. Um, you, you had adopted John. Yes. But you're his mother. Yes. And, uh, you've invested in him and raised him and love him so much. What's going through your mind when you get the news that they're about to pronounce your son dead? Well, you know, it's you're never prepared for that. Even if you know that your child's terminally ill, mm-hmm. you know, and you've been going through it for months, you're never ready for that as a mother to let go. And even when you get the call that you're never expecting or never want, you're still not wanting to let go and you know the god god will prepare you for things you know in the middle of what we're going through right now this isn't taking god by surprise Mm -hmm. he knows what tomorrow is and he knew this with john he knew what he was going to do with john when we adopted him at five and a half months old we didn't Mm -hmm. know what was on the radar but he did and he'd been preparing us uh, and me and we've been in a bible study uh believing god and by Beth Moore. And I'd been doing these homework pages every day. And at the beginning of the homework, you would recite these things. I believe God is who he says he is. I believe God can do what he says he can do. And I'm believing God. And so this is getting down in my spirit. So when this day comes, it's like I've been taken from the Bible study and I'm on a field trip now. We're going to put this in practice. And so when I walked in the room, I wasn't ready for the, I'm sorry, we're going to call time of death on John. That wasn't in my mind. What was in my mind was I was desperate to see God move for mm, me yeah, and see that God can do the things that he can say, can, says he can do. So when I walked up to the bed and they told me I could talk to him, my first thought was the Holy Spirit that came and raised Christ Jesus from the dead. And I thought, God, you're either who you say you are or you're not. Amen. And I, all my life, he'd always been God to me and always done the things he could say he could do with the things he said he could do. And so when I walked up and got a hold of his feet and started praying for him, I started crying out to the Holy Spirit because mm. I knew, I knew that's where yeah. the power laid. And so when I prayed for him, immediately the pulse came back. Yeah. I mean, to the shock of everyone in the room. After an hour and eight minutes of no heartbeat and all of a sudden they're hearing, you know, the machines going off. It was God being grace, showing his grace, love and mercy and showing this whole room. You do everything you can do. And when you're finished, step back and I'll show you what I can do. That's such an incredible, bold faith, Joyce. That's amazing. I need to have you pray for Jason's poster. It keeps coming down. Oh my word. Maybe you can do a miracle. <laughs> and I tried to, like I told you, Pastor Nick, I tried to get a frame for it, but you can't get anything on Amazon right now. So. Now when, when that, this all happened, you weren't listen, necessarily living for Jesus no. at that time. Tell no. us a little about that journey. Absolutely not. I mean, I was not, 
my whole life, I wanted to be a good basketball player. It's something me and my dad shared. It's something that we loved. We still love. We still talk about it to this day. Um, I had dreams to, you know, play college sports. And, you know, those I felt like those were taken from me, but they were taken for a good reason. I, I, I grew up in an Assemblies of God home. Um, I did church every Sunday, uh, youth and children's group every Wednesday. I mean, I did it. I did it all. Um, but, but one thing that really stuck with me is this abandoned spirit that I feel like a lot of people have. And it was specifically strong for me because of me being adopted and my birth family, um, my birth mom, my birth dad, I don't know anything about them. And so it wasn't that my parents did anything wrong. It was simply, I just didn't understand. And so growing up, I hated holidays and birthdays. Like I just, I didn't like them. I didn't understand them. I didn't like them. They were not a joy for me. And so I would go to church and I would get close to these pastors. Well, then they would leave. They would be gone. They would move to different churches. They would move to different states and they would just be gone. And so this whole spirit of abandonment would just constantly, it was like a big cycle. Mm-hmm. And so finally around the time of fifth grade, I kind of just fell away from the church. I had really gotten deep into the game of basketball. I wanted to see where that would take me. Um, and I just pushed myself away from the Lord. And so in turn, sixth, seventh, um, and eighth, eighth, ninth, ninth grade, I was just not living for the Lord at all. Um, I was doing things I shouldn't, hanging out with people I shouldn't, looking at things I shouldn't, talking to people the way I shouldn't. I mean, there was a list. And so it came to the time of the accident. And, you know, afterwards, I just, I wasn't happy. I didn't want to be this guy. I didn't want to have the spotlight. I didn't want to be famous for something God did. I didn't want any of it. And so I went on to ninth grade, still not living for the Lord, running away. Sophomore, the beginning of my sophomore year, I was still running away. And it, it took that summer in between, you know, my freshman and sophomore year to really just kind of get everything back. You know, a dear friend of mine, Emma Riley, invited me to a youth camp and I just, I didn't want to go. Um, I knew what youth camp was about and I was just like, this isn't for me. And so I told her no, really in kind of an arrogant way. And when I did, I just, I I went to basketball practice that evening and got it all orchestrated this. The coach told me that my team had the week off. And so I got to go to youth camp and it was a great wow. trip. And I'll never forget the day that, you know, some days they, they allowed the kids to go into the sanctuary about 30 minutes before service so you can pray. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how I ended up there. I still can't. I can remember most of that week, but this, I just can't, I can't remember how I ended up in the front of the sanctuary right by the stairs sitting. And I just put my head down and I said, God, if you're there, show me something. And I, I, I'll never forget. He said, God, he said, John, why are you running from me? Mm. And, you know, moving forward, I kind of just ignored it until, you know, it came to the last game of my basketball career. And I got hurt for the last time, realizing that my career was over. And I heard God again say, why are you running from me? And I was heartbroken. I just went home that night and I gave my life back to him. And I did, you know, I just said, whatever you have for me, I'll do. And I'll do it to the best of my abilities. And ever since then, it's been a, a whirlwind. Um, it's just been crazy with the book and movie and, you know, still traveling to this day. But I'm extremely blessed to be here and I'm extremely blessed to share, share this story. Well, as we kind of wrap up this uh, the interview, Joyce, could you just pray for, for us? Sure. Pray for everyone watching today and uh, just for the season that we're in right now. Sure. Lord, we just thank you right now because we know that this has not taken you by surprise, this time that we are going through right now with this pandemic. Lord, 
this is a time when we can come back to you. And Lord, that's what this Passover season is all about. Lord, is remembering what you have done for us in the past and that you, there's nothing in our future, Lord, that you can't take care of and that you hold everything right in the palm of your hand. And so, Lord, we thank you for that right now. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we just come to you and we repent as a nation, Lord, for what we have done, Lord, for the things that are so wrong in our society, Lord, we know you have a great answer for that. And when we turn our hearts back to you, Lord, you're going to come in and do miraculous things here, Lord. You're going to send forth a great awakening, Lord, a great revival. And Lord, we're looking for that right now. So Lord, we thank you. Lord, as we go through this time, help us be ready, Lord Jesus, to recognize what you are, who you are and what you're doing, Lord, and surrender to that, Lord, and not to fall apart in fear, Lord Jesus, but to know that you hold our tomorrows and that everything is going to go according to your plan, according to your purpose, Lord. As your word tells us in Jeremiah 29, 11, you have plans and purpose for us, Lord. And Lord, let us be about that purpose, Lord, of building your kingdom until the day that you return to take us home with you. In my precious name, we ask it. Amen. 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 Thank you guys so much for joining us today. It's such an honor from uh, for, from our church to yours. Just want to say thank you for uh, your incredible story. And it's awesome to thank hear you. what God has done. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What an incredible story that is, isn't it? It's so cool to get to hear that from from Jason, the pastor, and from John and Joyce and see what's all unfolded in their lives even since then. And, and today for you, I don't know what the miraculous means for you. It's probably not going to be you falling through the ice and being miraculously healed or, or your, your daughter coming back to life. It might not be those things. And really what I'm talking about today isn't even about the miraculous. It's what you're willing to trust in during those difficult moments. Are you willing to trust a God that is at his best when you are at your worst? The truth is about that statement is God can't be at his best for you if you're not willing to let him. For most of us at our worst, we hold even more tightly to our pain. But God can't heal, transform, and restore until we're willing to let him into the room. It wasn't until Jesus walked into the room where Jairus' daughter was laying that she was healed. It wasn't until Joyce Smith welcomed the Holy Spirit into the room where the body of her lifeless son was laying that he was healed. God will be at his best when you are at your worst if you're willing to welcome him into the room of your pain, your disappointment, and your struggles. And if you do, I promise you, everything will change. Nothing will be the same. I can't promise you what the outcome will look like, but I know this, that anything Jesus touches is forever changed. And today, wherever you're sitting, wherever you're watching, I want to give you the opportunity to invite Jesus into that room, to invite Jesus into the pain, the struggle, maybe battling the mistakes of your past, that Jesus can forgive, transform, and heal today. Would you bow your heads with me as we just pray? God, I pray right now for those that are watching. God, they might be walking through regret, pain, maybe physical pain. Lord, I pray that you would walk into that room that they're in right now, that your presence would be tangible, that they would sense it, and that you would heal and transform 
God, that the miraculous isn't simply about your power. It's about our trust. God, we trust you with our lives. We trust you with our pain. We trust you with our struggles and our disappointments. God, allow us to be able to step forth as a new creation in Christ Jesus, as a walking miracle. Thank you, God, for what you're doing even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. It's such an honor to be able to speak into your living room, on your phone, or wherever you're watching. We are so blessed to do that. And I want to invite you next week at 1030, same time, and we'll be continuing this conversation, paradox, looking at the shocking reunion between Joseph and his brothers. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. This is Pastor Nick Pohl, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 